the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. So, what we find here is that Genesis 2.24 is a statement by the Creator, yes, concerning the first man and woman, but His statement about marriage was intended to extend to all marriages, not simply to Adam and Eve's. So, What we have here then, folks, in Genesis 2 is God's teaching about how he wants your marriage, how he wants my marriage, how he wants every marriage to function. As modern cars get more and more complex, the owner's manuals get more and more massive. Even my old 2013 has a stack of manuals that almost fills the glove box. But in those manuals are the pieces of information I need to know in order to get the most enjoyment and longest life out of the vehicle. So it's a good idea to refer to them now and then. Well, that automobile is not anywhere near as complex or as important as my marriage relationship. And guess what? There's a manual for that, too. And it's written by the designer and creator of each of our marriages. What a relief. Welcome to Verse by Verse with Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Pastor Steve is leading us in a series of Bible lessons about marriage and how God intends for it to work. And when it works according to his design, it is absolutely amazing. In our last broadcast, Pastor Steve finished his first message from Genesis 2 about God's original design for marriage. Today we'll hear him begin another message from that chapter as we move through this plan of God's that can give us relationships that are almost like heaven, if we will follow the instructions. Let's open our Bibles once again to Genesis chapter 2. We want to continue what we started last week in our series on marriage. Genesis chapter 2, starting at verse 18. And the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. Out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the sky and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called the living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the cattle and to the birds of the sky and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper suitable for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man and he slept Then he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh at that place. The Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. The man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. This morning, we do continue our series on marriage by resuming our our study of these critically important verses about Adam and Eve. And folks, the reason that these verses are so important is is because it's here in Genesis chapter 2, where God has revealed his original design, his original intention, not just for the first man and woman and their marriage, but for all 
marriages. That's why this is so important. You see, as we noted last week, the purpose of this passage of Scripture is not simply to tell us about the creation of Adam and the creation of Eve and their marriage. The purpose of this passage is to present the divine pattern that God wants for every marriage. He wants it for yours. He wants it for mine. And we know that this is the case for several reasons. I want you to know this is not my opinion. This is the teaching of the word of God. And let me tell you why. First of all, it is obvious by the way this material is presented in the book of Genesis that these verses are intended to set down universal truths for all marriages to follow. And the reason I say that is because back in Genesis 1, God already mentioned the creation of the first man and woman. We saw this last week. He already mentioned it. So so why mention it again here in chapter 2? Well, the reason the Lord gives another account of Adam and Eve's creation in Genesis 2 and goes into great detail to explain their unique relationship as the first married couple is to give timeless principles to govern every couple as they enter into matrimony. There'd be no reason to go into chapter 2 when he's already mentioned their creation in chapter 1 unless he has a message for everybody concerning marriage. Secondly, it is clear that this passage is intended as a pattern for all marriages to follow because of what it says, especially verse 24. Notice, verse 24 says, For this reason a man shall leave his father and his mother and shall be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Now here we have an editorial comment that goes beyond the marriage of Adam and Eve by stating that God's purpose, note this, for all marriages is for a man to leave his parents and be joined to his wife, becoming one flesh with her. Now think about this. This statement has to extend to all marriages because it cannot refer to Adam and Eve's relationship. Why? Adam had no father or mother to leave. He had no father or mother to leave in being joined to his wife. So this must be an editorial comment inserted by God himself into the passage as a message to every man and every woman who would follow Adam and Eve in marriage. Therefore, the story of the first marriage is not simply about Adam and Eve. It's intended, as we said, to go beyond them as a set of divine blueprints for all marriages. That is to say, these are God's instructions on how to build a marriage his way, and he wants you and your spouse to follow his way. Now, in support of this interpretation of Genesis 2, that these are timeless truths for all marriages, is the fact that in the New Testament, Jesus quotes this passage and says it's for all marriages. This is found in Matthew, Matthew chapter 19. We read this starting in verse 3. Some Pharisees came to Jesus, testing him and asking, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason at all? And he answered and said, have you not read that he who made them from the beginning made them male and female? He goes right back to Genesis 2 and said, he says, here's what God who made them said for this reason. A man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. They asked him about divorce. Jesus goes back to Genesis 2 and says, this is the pattern for all marriage. They're one. They're one. So what we find here 
is that Genesis 2.24 is a statement by the creator, yes, concerning the first man and woman, but his statement about marriage was intended to extend to all marriages, not simply to Adam and Eve. So what we have here then, folks, in Genesis 2 is God's teaching about how he wants your marriage, how he wants my marriage, how he wants every marriage to function. Someone once asked the great artist Rembrandt, when is a painting finished? It's a good question. Rembrandt's answer was insightful. He said that a painting is finished when it expresses the intent of the artist. Painting's finished when it expresses the intent of the artist. Well, with this divine portrait of marriage, here in Genesis 2, God has painted a picture of what he intends your marriage to look like. Follow his design and you'll have a terrific marriage. Neglect his design and you'll have a terrible marriage if you'll have a marriage at all. It's as simple as all that. Now, last week we said that in looking at the way this passage unfolds, we can see that when God created marriage, he had two purposes in mind. Last Sunday, because of some time constraints as we were observing the Lord's Supper, we only had time to just begin to get into the first of these principles. And so I want to review and expand. And the first of these purposes, I should say, is that God created marriage for our good, for our good. Notice verse 18. Then the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. Now, in this one verse, God states that in light of Adam being alone, which was not good for him, he's going to give him a wife, which would be very good for him. And in providing a woman for the man, God says he's going to give Adam three things that he needs in a wife. Now, the first thing that Adam needed was obviously a companion. The man is alone. He needs a special friend who would address his loneliness. And that's what we spent the brunt of our time studying last Sunday. The fact that marriage is designed by God to be first and foremost a companionship between a husband and a wife. That is to say that a husband and a wife are supposed to be the very best of friends. That they are not best of friends, it's because they have allowed themselves to drift apart and have neglected each other living independent lives. Now, if that describes your marriage, I want you to know that it is not a hopeless situation because there is a way to get back to becoming best friends with your spouse And that way is to follow the principles that Scripture teaches about how to be a friend, how to be a true and loyal friend to someone, and then apply those principles to your relationship with your marriage partner. Now, we went into studying these principles on friendship in some detail last Sunday, so we don't need to do that again today. I would encourage you, if you missed last Sunday or you want to review, just get the CD message. But I I do want to urge every husband and wife to make sure that you are sitting down and discussing these issues that you're hearing in these messages. And in discussing them, you are making the proper adjustments and changes necessary in your marriage. That may involve asking forgiveness of your spouse. It may involve granting forgiveness as need be. Keep in mind that what we learned last week and what we're going to learn today about being your spouse's best friend and the relationship of marriage, 
these are not options for you to weigh whether you're going to obey or not. If you know Christ as your Savior and Lord, there are no options. These are biblical truths. For those who know Christ, it is a matter of obedience to your Lord. You must put some effort into being best friends with your spouse, or you are in disobedience to Jesus Christ. Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. This is the teaching of the word of God. There are no options. Now, God's provision for a companion for Adam was really, as I said, all that we had time to to study last week because of our observance of the Lord's Supper. So today, I want to pick up where we left off last Sunday by looking at the second thing that God says he will provide for Adam in giving him a wife. And once again, we look at Genesis 2.18, and we notice that God says that Adam needed someone who would be his companion, but not just any companion. Notice, he needed someone who would be his helper. Then the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper. Now, being a wife's, uh, being rather a husband's helper is often misunderstood by people. It is a very significant truth, but one that is often misunderstood and misinterpreted. And the reason for this is because the term helper in our culture sounds somewhat demeaning, even insulting, because it conjures up images of someone who is inferior to the person being helped, like a teacher's assistant. They're not really a teacher, They're just assisting. Or a nurse's aide. You know, they're not really a nurse. They're just aiding the nurse. Or a junior apprentice. When used that way, the word helper does sound like someone who is just unskilled, an unskilled laborer who's only capable of handling routine chores in order to help the really competent, skilled person. But listen, that's not what a wife is. And that's not what it means for a wife to be her husband's helper. You see, this Hebrew word, for helper, and we're saying Hebrew, not Greek, because the Old Testament is in Hebrew. New Testament is in Greek. But this Hebrew word for helper does not mean, nor does it imply, inferiority or unskilled help. On the contrary, this word speaks of strength. It is used in the Bible, in the Old Testament, often to speak of getting military help from a strong army in the sense of reinforcements coming for the battle. More importantly, it is often used in the Old Testament to speak of God himself as the one who helps his people and comes to their aid. So to be someone's helper from the Bible's perspective indicates that there is something lacking in an individual and they need your strength to help them. So what does this mean in the context of a marriage? Listen closely. It means that every husband, whether he recognizes, recognizes it or not, has inadequacies and weaknesses, and that God's provision for those weaknesses is to provide a wife to be a person of strength, to come alongside and to help her husband in areas where he's just not strong. He needs her help. Now, there are many practical ways where, uh, where a wife can and should help her husband, but certainly... One way for this truth to be applied is for a husband to recognize that he needs his wife's input on matters to to help him to see things clearly. He needs her. He needs to carefully listen to his wife's counsel, especially in the areas where he's weak, perhaps in relationships with people, perhaps in being sensitive to others, being thoughtful and showing care and compassion to others. These are areas where, where often we men are weak and we need help. And God has provided help in that area 
by giving to husbands, wives, who are usually quite strong in the areas of relationships and sensitivity and compassion. We need them to balance out our weaknesses. So gentlemen, you would be very wise to make sure that you let your wife help you by listening to what she has to say, opening up to her, getting her counsel, hearing what she says to you, giving careful consideration to her input into matters. Otherwise, you have rejected God's means for helping you deal with the many perplexing issues of life. Not only is this an arrogant thing to do, but frankly, it's a foolish thing to do. And you will suffer the consequences if you don't take your wife's help. So don't be proud, don't be stubborn, and don't be foolish. Let your wife help you. And wives, you need to help your husbands by giving them wise advice and helping in those areas where he's lacking. You have been called to be your husband's helper, so make sure you help him. Be there to offer him support and your strength. You are his strong helper. So God reveals that in addressing Adam's aloneness, he is about to provide a companion for him, one who is going to be also his strong helper so she can balance out his, his weaknesses with her strengths. Notice, though, there's more. Notice verse 18 again, because God says that it wasn't simply a helper that Adam needed, but it was a helper, note this, suitable for him that he needed. Now, what does this mean, suitable? It means that God's plan was to give Adam a helper who, though different from him, would correspond to him so that she would be perfectly suited to help him. You see, once again, we go to the Hebrew. The Hebrew term suitable for him literally means opposite him. That's what the word means, opposite him. And the thought here is that a wife is the opposite of her husband in the sense that she completes him. That is to say that a wife is the opposite of her husband so that though she is different from him, this difference is for the purpose of complementing and corresponding to him. In other words, she's like the piece of a puzzle that perfectly fits her husband. Here's how one Bible teacher explains what it means for a wife to correspond to her husband by being his opposite. He writes, our uniquely male and female anatomies obviously correspond to each other. But the correspondence between men and women goes deeper than the physical complement. There are divinely intended gender differences that enrich and empower one another. Listen, what this implies is that a husband is incomplete without his wife. He needs her to make him complete, and she needs him to make her complete. So husbands and wives are supposed to be different from each other. This is the way that God made them so that they can complement and balance each other out and thus function as a completed whole. I'll even take this a step further and say that this appears to be the reason why so often husbands and wives are complete opposites of each other in terms of their personalities and character traits. And I realize that that is somewhat of a generalization and it is not always the case. But it is a rather common phenomenon in marriage that opposites are often attracted to each other. The areas where a husband is strong, his wife is usually not very strong and vice versa. 
For example, while one is usually outgoing in personality, the other is more retiring in personality, and it just sort of goes like that in their whole, their whole makeup. You see, often men and women are drawn and attracted to each other's strengths because they're not strong in that area. They, they admire the other one because they have certain strengths that are lacking in them. This is the way that God puts together a couple so that they will help to complete and balance each other out. They are indeed perfectly suited for one another. And so this is what God says that Adam needs. He needs a companion who would be his helper, who would complete what is lacking in him. But where's he going to get one of these? The only creatures that he's aware of are the animals that God has already created. So what we read next in Genesis 2 is a bit startling, especially if you've never read this before. It's even startling if you have read it before. Notice verses 19 and 20. Out of the ground, out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the sky and brought them to the man. Now, he's already formed them. He's just telling us he had formed them. Now he's brought them to the man, to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called the living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the cattle and to the birds of the sky and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper suitable for him. Now, it would appear that as God brought all the animals before Adam to be named, that Adam was looking for a special companion from amongst the animal kingdom. That's why I say this is somewhat startling. Remember, Adam has never read Genesis 2. He doesn't know what's really going on. But obviously, he couldn't find one there. Apparently, this was also God's way of arousing in Adam an awareness of his need for a human female partner, a perfect counterpart to him. Because as he looked at all the animals before him, he saw that they had all been created, male and female, except him. Only Adam was alone without a female partner. What he needed then was someone on his level, someone also made in the likeness and image of God. And that's why we read at the end of verse 20. But for Adam, there was not found a helper suitable for him. No one else was suitable for Adam. And so God did did something about this. He provided a human wife for Adam. And in doing so, the Lord reveals a second purpose for marriage. Now, before we look at this second purpose for marriage, I just want to pause here for a, a few moments to consider what we've learned so far about marriage. In terms of the big picture, it is easy to get lost in the details and forget the big picture. See, what we read here in Genesis 2 concerning marriage is that God created the institution of marriage for our good. Not our detriment, but our good. That's an important truth to get hold of, and it's one that many have never gotten hold of. See, in spite of the rising divorce rate and all the challenges that marriage brings, marriage is not evil. It's not a necessary evil, as some make it out to be. Nor is marriage to be spoken of as something negative or poking fun at it by putting it down as a painful experience. Those who have a disdain for marriage tend to be individuals who have experienced a difficult marriage and 
a failed marriage, and it's been difficult and failed for them because they have not followed God's blueprint for a successful marriage. It is incredible how many jokes there are about marriage. I recently heard an interesting theory on why men sometimes idly spin their wedding rings around their finger. Someone said it's because they're looking for the combination. We laugh because, sad as it is, there is a certain amount of truth to that in most marriages. But if not for the fall and our resulting sin nature, there would be no troubled marriages. And if someone tried to tell a joke like that in an unfallen world, we probably wouldn't get it. We'd have the kinds of marriages God originally intended, and the last thing we'd want is a way out. You're listening to Verse by Verse. I'm glad you could join us today. Pastor Steve Kreloff will continue this message when we meet next time. Pastor Steve is the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Call the office for service times and directions if you're looking for a place to worship in Clearwater. The number is 727-441-1714 or go to lakesidechapel.com. To learn more about Verse by Verse, stop in at our website, versebyverseradio.org, where you can find all of our previous broadcasts available for free streaming or downloading. That's versebyverseradio.org. I'm Jerry Peterson. When I first met the woman who would become my wife, it took a while before I knew she was the one. Adam had been looking and looking for just the right companion. He had exhausted all possibilities when God put him to sleep and made Eve from one of his ribs. Imagine his delight when he awoke and first met his partner for life. Pastor Steve will tell us about that on the next Verse by Verse. Here to give you strength between three star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to, he understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.